from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 170, Marvel Cosmic Part 2. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. That's right, we are finally back. Sorry for the delay. It has been a crazy roller coaster ride the last few weeks, and I mean that in the best possible way. Um, but unfortunately, because things have been so crazy with everyone's schedules, we have not been able to get together uh, with, I haven't been able to get together with John or Robert or Shannon to really be able to record anything, and we really needed to get something out. It's just been too long. I know you guys look forward to the shows that we do. Um, it just was really tough to coordinate. Now, the reason why it was a fun roller coaster ride for me is if you've listened to the show long enough or you follow me on Facebook or friends with me on Facebook, you know that I am a very big Cavs fan, Cleveland Cavaliers fan. I'm in the Cleveland area, and I've been following them since the 80s, so in case you're thinking, oh, he's a bandwagon guy, he's jumped on just because they won, uh, he's a Fairweather fan, he was there since LeBron. No, I've been following the Cavs since the 80s, which is pretty appropriate considering what this show is all about is the 80s. So I was following them during you know the Price, Doherty, Craig Elo, all, all of the, the greats during, during that time period. I followed them dur- during the lean years. Uh, when LeBron first came to the team, I was... Uh, nothing more than ecstatic when he left the team. If you listen to the show long enough, you know I was very pissed about that. Wasn't pissed that he left the team. I was pissed at how he left the team. And I'm still not totally happy about that, but it's one of those things like he he's made amends. He's, you know, said he's sorry. He's not my favorite player on the team. I think he's an amazing uh, basketball player. But, you know, it's a it's a sport. You know, you, you can't be mad at someone that plays a sport for too long, um, especially when he helps make sure that your team gets a national championship. I mean, we here in Cleveland, if you know anything about the history of Cleveland, we have not had a sports championship 
team for 52 years. It's been a long, long time. And we have three major professional sports teams. We have the Cleveland Indians, we have the Cleveland Browns, and we have the Cleveland Cavaliers. So you, we've joked around here all the time. You almost need to make an effort to be that bad. So uh, the, the running joke was always, you know, well, there's always next year. And sometimes we were saying that when the season just started, because especially when it came to the Browns in recent years and things like that. And when it came down to the finals against the Golden State Warriors this year, we were playing horrible at the beginning of uh, the first couple games. And then the third game, we looked like the team I've been watching all season long. And then the fourth game, we started looking like the team that I've been following all season long, and then we fell apart again. And I was like, you know, once we were down 3-1, to one, I was like, there is no way we're getting out of this. There's no way we're going to win a championship from this. No team has ever done it before. And then one of my friends at work said to me, you know what? Cleveland has always lost spectacularly. Uh, we, you know, we had the drive and the shot and the fumble and just a number of heartbreaks. He's like, we have to win the same way. He's like, you, you don't just erase that uh, by just having, you know, a run-of-the-mill championship. We had to make history in order for it to really matter and for it to really count. And boy, did we ever! I mean, we did make history. I have this season alone, my wife and I were both Cavs fans, both of us have been fans for a long time, and we went to more games this season than we had any other season. And it was just because we wanted to. It wasn't like, oh, they're gonna this is gonna be the year and, and we should go to a lot of games. It was just you know, we had the opportunity, so we went. We went to at least four games. I'm thinking it might have been five, may have been five games. Um, we were actually at the playoff games, uh, the game where they broke the three-point record. Uh, so we were at the game where NBA history was made. Uh, and then we were actually at the Cavs watch party in the queue uh, through the, the grace of my sister being able to be quick on the computer. She was able to, to score some uh, watch party tickets after they went on sale. They sold out in two minutes. We went that night, Sunday night, and watched the Cavs victory, and we were on pins and needles the whole time. It was crazy, but man, it was exciting once it actually happened. And then we went out into the city, and there was police officers there that greeted us as we walked out, and they were just high-fiving us, and it was so cool. Um, and the one police officer that we walked, uh, ran into as we were walking out, you know, he's giving us high-fives, and he's just said, congratulations, guys, the city is yours. And I thought that was a really cool way to handle it because it was kind of like, hey, we want you to let us know. They wanted to let us know, hey, you can have fun. It's, you know, it's okay to have fun. But remember, we're here. You know, remember that there is police officers here. And there really wasn't any big issues. There was one police car that got uh, bashed up and everything else. And even the chief of police of Cleveland said, you know, well, if it, if it costs the city one police car for a national championship, it's worth it. But pretty much everyone was just happy. Um, I was there with my wife. I was there with my sister and her boyfriend. And my cousin was there. And it was just an awesome experience. Uh, my sister was in tears. I was in tears. 
Um, again, you don't know how long we've been waiting for this. And, and I know this is a geeky podcast, and, the, and I know that there's a lot of geeks out there that don't follow sports or don't care about sports. And so I apologize for that, but I kind of don't apologize for it because I'm a geek and I love sports. And I know we have a lot of fans out there that that love sports as well. So I'm not going to stay on this too long, but just wanted to kind of give you an idea. Like that night, the city, we just took over the city. We were walking up and down streets, just high-fiving people. I had strangers, you know, hugging me and stuff like that. It was just an awesome, awesome experience. Uh, we were out, we didn't get home until I think it was almost two in the morning. Uh, had to go to work the next day. I warned my boss ahead of time. Look, I'm going to be in it, into work on time, but I can't guarantee that I'm going to be, be very uh, productive that day. And she just laughed and understood. I was able to take the uh, following Wednesday off from work, uh, which was the parade in Cleveland. And if you saw anything with the news, you know that this was the largest parade uh, ever. And understandably so. Again, no other team has waited, no other city has waited this long for a team to get a national championship. Um, I, uh, there's teams out there that I understand probably are still waiting, but um, just the heartbreak that we went through, this whole city came together. And yes, there was a couple incidents at the parade, but again, super minor. I think it was 1.5 million people, they estimate, was actually down in downtown Cleveland. And my wife and I were down there and we got some awesome pictures, um, got to see all the players go by and, um, they just embraced their fans. It was absolutely awesome. I'm still on cloud nine, just riding this all the way through. Um, it was amazing. It was awesome. I'm so glad I was able to experience it all and able to experience it with, with my wife and everything. There's just no words that can describe it. So with that being said, uh, I will get into the, the geeky stuff now. Um, and kind of give you an idea what this episode's about. I decided, you know what, we need to get something out. Let me get uh, go back to something that I hadn't forgotten about. I know there's probably a lot of people that thought that I completely forgot about this. There was an episode almost two years ago, uh, so again, I apologize for the delay, that was called the Ammo Dump Kessel Run. And what I covered in that episode was Annihilation. Uh, it was a one-shot issue that kicked off like this crossover of miniseries that dealt, dealt with the Marvel Cosmic. Uh, this series got me into the Marvel Cosmic stuff. Uh, I wasn't really a big Silver Surfer fan, still not a huge fan of Silver Surfer, but I liked the character. And I just really didn't know a whole lot. I didn't really read Fantastic Four. It just, I didn't think it was my thing, but then, you know, I like Star Wars and everything else, so why wouldn't this be my thing? So I picked up that issue just based on, you know, oh, let me give this a try. It's a one-shot. Let me give it a try. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was a, just a fantastic issue. And it made me actually go and buy the miniseries that tied it all tied into all that, which then led to the main story. I wanted What I wanted to do on this show was I wanted to continue that story. I wanted to go beyond that one-shot and then just again, show kind of took a life of its own. We were covering a lot of other things and I just never circled back to do any more. And I know there was a lot of people out there that really liked that episode. They really wanted to learn more about Marvel cosmic stuff and the stuff that led up to the guardians of the galaxy movie, um, coming out, which really the, that one shot is what 
led to that Guardians of the Galaxy movie being made because Annihilation led to Annihilation Conquest, and Annihilation Conquest is what where the Guardians of the Galaxy as we know them today uh, originated. And without Annihilation, you wouldn't have had that. And that became so popular that that caused the mo- them to take a chance in making the movie, which obviously was a huge success, and I'm a big fan of it. So when I decided, you know what, I want to get something out there, let me think about what I could do a show on, I immediately thought, you know what, let me go back and continue that story. Uh, And I wanted to make sure that I did it right. So I went and I read the next issue that was in the storyline, which was the Silver Surfer miniseries. It was Annihilation Silver Surfer, uh, number one of four. I decided, you know, I'm going to read that, but... if there's other characters that appear in the story and I have the opportunity to read the first appearances of those characters or read maybe some other stories of those characters, I want to do that as well, kind of give you some background of the characters or at least my impressions of those characters. Uh, so it wasn't just me covering the issue and, and that was pretty much it. There's not a whole lot to this this issue. I mean, there, there's a lot, but there's not. It's a four-parter, so again, you know, you, this kind of sets things up. Um, but I decided to start calling these Marvel Cosmic episodes uh, because that's really what it's about, and this is where my love of the Marvel Cosmic universe started. So it's not the start of the Marvel Cosmic universe, but it's my start of the Marvel Cosmic universe. So, so if you do want to go back to the first episode where I covered that one shot. It's episode 128. Again, it came out on September 6th of 2014, and it was titled The Ammo Dump Castle Run. Going forward, these episodes will be called Marvel Cosmic Part 3, Part 4, and so on and so forth. Uh, the description in the on the website will always tell you what issue I'm covering, so this way if you want to read it or have read it in the past, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but really, you don't need to. I'm going to tell you what happens in the story for the most part part. I mean, I'm not going to go panel by panel necessarily, but I'm going to tell you what happens. Um, I'm going to give you my impressions of the, of the you know, the art and story and, and things like that and the characters. And then after this episode, there'll be, an, there should be another episode after this, which uh, will delve into something else that I was interested in, uh, you know, that kind of started me off on a different path uh, when it came to comics. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you find it interesting. I hope that Maybe it sparked your interest in uh, the Marvel Cosmic Universe. Like I said, it, it had a big impact on me. So um, might as well dive right in. So this was uh, called Annihilation Silver Surfer. Uh, it was written by uh, Keith Giffen. It was drawn, the art was by Renato, uh, Renato Arlem. Uh, color was by Jun Chung. Uh, letter is VC's Corey Petit. Uh, the cover painting, which was beautiful, was Gabriel D'Otto. Uh, the assistant editors are Molly Laser and Rubri Sitterson. The main editor is Andy Schmidt, who should be no stranger to this podcast. Uh, if you followed G.I. Joe, the IDW G.I. Joe and the IDW Transformer series, uh, when when uh, G.I. Joe first started, uh, Andy Schmidt was actually the editor of those titles. So definitely uh, a longtime editor and a very good editor. So, uh, And then we have editor-in-chief Joe Quesada, and publisher was Dan Buckley. 
Uh, and what this issue opens up to is we are actually, uh, it's a few pages in, they actually give a summary, which I do want to read for you because it, it, if you didn't go back to the other episode uh, where I covered the one shot, this will kind of bring you up to speed as to what's been happening. So it says here that a destructive force punctures through the edge of our universe, barreling into the moon-sized kiln prisons there. The moment this annihilation wave tore into our universe is universally marked as Annihilation Day. So the kiln was a prison, planet, asteroid-type place that was uh, taken out by the annihilation wave. Uh, after ripping through the ancient gulags, Annihilus, the Armada's undisputed ruler, sets his sights on Xandar, the home world of the intergalactic peacekeeping force known as the Nova Corps. Uh, Annihilus, I covered in that episode, uh, first appeared in Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Uh, we'll definitely cover him again in the future. I have not read the first appearance of, of him as of yet. I have it in an omnibus edition. So I will read it the next time we come across that uh, the character of Annihilus to give some perspective on that. But he does not actually appear in this issue. Um, and then on Xandar, the entire Corps assembles for a debriefing on the kiln destruction and get their marching orders. During the debriefing, the forces called the Annihilation Wave struck Xandar. The ensuing battle was monumental, disastrous, vicious, and totally consuming. The Nova Corps fell all too quickly. The question now is, with the Nova Corps gone, who can possibly hold off the Annihilation Wave? That was 10 days ago. The Silver Surfer, former former herald of Galactus, the devourer of worlds, senses a disturbance in the galaxy, something more akin to an infestation than an invasion. And when you know about Annihilus, he's kind of like this bug-like creature. Um, he's huge, and he's th definitely threatening and deadly, uh, but he's this bug-like creature, and this Annihilation Wave is a whole bunch of bug-like creatures that just swarm the space waves and take everything out. Wanted to give some background with the Silver Surfer. Last time I did an episode, I had not read the first appearance of Silver Surfer. That has changed since then. Um, I actually read the first story arc of Silver Surfer. Uh, he first appeared in Fantastic Four number 48. Uh, and really it was an arc of 48, 49, and 50 that uh, Silver Surfer first appeared in. Now his first appearance, he in that first issue of four, uh, Fantastic Four number 48, he doesn't talk at all. He just appears and you see like scrolls, you know, shutting down their planet. They're, you know, they know he's coming. So that, you know, they know what he brings, which is Galactus and Galactus is this world devourer. Silver Surfer is like his scout. They, they call him a herald, but he's really a scout for which planet Galactus is going to devour. And Silver Surfer, travels through the galaxy and the universe and everything to find uh, sustenance for Galactus. And he comes in Fantastic Four number 48. He comes uh, across Earth. Uh, and like I said, he's just silent. He's just this silver being that sends out a signal. And it was almost creepy that way because, and which was cool. It, it just, you know, you have this silver being that just shows up. I mean, if that happened here in the real world and this silver being just showed up and shot up some signal and didn't say anything, we would all be a little freaked out. So I thought that was really well done. He does talk in the subsequent issues and 
it's interesting because, uh, and you'll hear me mention this with a later character as well, but he's just cold. He, he, it's, he's almost like a Vision character, uh, Vision from Marvel, in that he doesn't understand humanity. Uh, he kind of wants to understand humanity because he also starts finding us interesting. Uh, but he he just he doesn't understand our ways and he, it doesn't make sense to him, which is really interesting to me that he's like that because in later appearances of the Silver Surfer he gets fleshed out as far as his background and where he comes from and and it is emotional it's an emotional decision for him to become the Herald of Galactus so to see him so cold at this point in this in his you know lifespan was really interesting to me because you can read into it any different way you want. It's like, you know, did it's more so that they, in reality, they just changed the character and realized he was popular, and so they gave him more personality and gave him more emotion and everything else. Um, but if you looked at it from, like, chronology of when he became the Herald to the point of meeting the Fantastic Four, you could almost say that the reason he becomes cold is because of the emotion he had to feel before. He had to actually turn his emotions off to become the Herald of Galactus. So it's kind of interesting when you look at it from that perspective. So we catch up to the story, and I find this interesting because it says, we're in the ruins of Xandar near the Skrull Empire, Annihilation Day plus 17, when the summary said that it was 10 days after the Annihilation Wave. So um, now we're 17 days. So a little discrepancy in there. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional or, or what, but, you know, again, different, different timing there. So the Silver Surfer is flying through uh, the different, you know, rocks and, and uh, debris. Uh, he comes across, you know, this just realizing what had happened. Uh, and he said, behind the destruction, he's thinking to himself, I sense purpose. So he knows there's a reason for this destruction. Uh, and then we turn to a page where it says nearby, and we actually see, we come across Ravenous. And Ravenous is a, uh, he's like a seeker, which is kind of interesting. Again, with the show, we have seekers in the Transformers, which is like Starscream and Skywarp and Thundercracker. Um, he's a seeker for Annihilus, and he has these like dog-like creatures uh, that are called the Curs, and they they're in tune with, the seekers and everything else. They follow their command. They have these connections to their arms and everything else. And Ravenous, uh, it, this is his first appearance in comics, and he is standing over uh, with a couple seekers behind him, standing over a character known as Airwalker. And Airwalker is another herald of Galactus, or at least he was. And uh, I, of course, went and said, well, let me see if I could read his first appearance. And his first appearance was in Fantastic Four number 120. You'll see a theme here when we're dealing with Marvel Cosmic that a lot of these characters that are in the cosmic universe of Marvel got their start in the Fantastic Four title. Uh, and it's because the Fantastic Four actually got their powers from cosmic uh, waves and they explore the universe, they explore different dimensions, all that type of stuff where you're going to come across a lot of cosmic beings. Uh, when I read Airwalker, uh, the Airwalker's first appearance, again, as I had mentioned earlier, when it comes to Silver Surfer, he was cold. He didn't have really any emotions. He did speak, but he really didn't have any emotions. And they found out in the story 
that he was an automaton. He was a he was a robot. And if you didn't know that going into this story, you find out. So it's not like you really needed to know that because you kind of discover that. They do a really good job in this story of make, giving you glimpses uh, and knowledge of these characters' history and everything else. Uh, but here we have Airwalker, and uh, he does become more human again as time goes on, even though he's a robot. Again, think of the Vision, how he was uh, an android that started having human feelings. Uh, when you get the Power Cosmic, it's going to play a factor for you. But Airwalker is kind of like, the, he looks like a Centurion type character uh, with a, with these big fiery wings, which are the power cosmic radiating off of them uh, that allow him to, to travel the spaceways and everything else. So it's kind of like Silver Surfer's surfboard. Um, Airwalker tries to fight against Ravenous and the Seekers. Uh, he fires out a blast and... Uh, we get Ravenous that actually swings his arm or something, and these bolts come shooting out and nail Airwalker in the back. And this panel of the art was a little weird because you can't tell where these blasts are coming from. It looks like they're coming from Ravenous's shoulder, uh, or it could be from his fist, uh, from swinging his fist. It was just really hard to tell. It was the one panel where I, I looked at it a lot because I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, the rest of it makes perfect sense in the issue, but like I said, that one panel kind of threw me off a little bit there. Um, Ravenous sends his curs to tackle Airwalker. Um, he flings them off of him, but he's really dying. I mean, he, he just can't fight anymore. Just as Ravenous is about to lay the final blow on Airwalker, we get a big halt from off, off panel, and uh, we get Silver Surfer and he wants to know what's the meaning of this. Airwalker recognizes him. Ravenous is like, oh, this isn't a total loss now. Uh, Airwalker is known as Gabriel. Uh, that's his regular name uh, that he's referred to all the time. Surfer calls him Gabriel and, and finds out that uh, Ravenous was actually hunting down those with the power cosmic to, to basically eliminate them. Uh, and take their life essence and what power he wields ravenous uh wields and he reveals this to the surfer is he controls a power called the essence so uh silver surfer and airwalker they handle the, the power cosmic and ravenous is from the negative zone and the negative zone the equivalent of the power cosmic is called the essence so think of like the force you know you got your your light side and your dark side so it kind of makes sense. He's trying to get the life essence of, the, of those that channel the uh, power cosmic. The problem is Airwalker is a robot. He's, a, he's an automaton. So it doesn't do him any good. He was act, And Ravenous was actually hoping that Fire Lord would show up. Uh, and Fire Lord is another Herald of Galactus. And when he shows up, I'll cover a little bit more about him. But uh, they thought that this was going to be a wasted trip until the Surfer arrived because they really couldn't do anything other than to eliminate Airwalker. They couldn't absorb his life essence. So uh, Ravenous attack, uh, attacks Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer attacks back as best as he can, but that's when uh, he kind of understands, you know, Ravenous lets him know about the essence and everything else. Surfer realizes that, you know, I can't really win this battle right now, 
Uh, I just need, we need to get out of here at, at this particular point. I got to save Airwalker. You know, Ravenous says your concern is misplaced uh, because Surfer is concerned about Airwalker. And uh, Surfer says back to him, as, your, as is your confidence, you cannot compre- comprehend the power I wield. And there's this huge explosion of white light and the Surfer comes flying out of it on his board and he's carrying Airwalker. Unfortunately, Airwalker, uh, he gets him away, and but Airwalker is terminal, and he knows that he's about to die. So he, he passes along some information about the Annihilation Wave to the Surfer. Uh, he lets him know that if this wave continues, there's going to be nothing left. Billions of lives are going to die. He compares it to how they are with Galactus, because that's one of the things that Ravenous points out to him. He's like, you know we're no different than you guys are as far as bringing Galactus to inhabited planets because that's what Galactus needs. He needs life force. He, he, so he can't go to just a dead planet and, and feed off of it. It has to have some life to it. But the heralds of Galactus are always very selective about, about that. And when they do eliminate a planet, uh, when Galactus eliminates it, it's because he needs it to survive. He needs it as sustenance. It's not anything personal. It's not to ravage the planet. It's not to it's not to intentionally destroy them. It's what he needs. And Ravenous's argument is, well, that's exactly what Annihilus needs. But when you look at what Annihilus and his wave do, it does seem very personal. It does seem very savage. It's it's an, it's an attack. Um, so. It, it's interesting. I really liked how they looked at both sides of the same coin because both of these, you know, characters, Annihilus and Galactus, both have to feed. They both have to kind of conquer in a way, but they do it very differently. But the end results are the same. So you you can kind of almost debate it with yourself. Like, is is really one better than the other? Surfer believes so, especially when he sees the destruction of everything that happens. So he decides that he uh, needs to avenge his friend and sets out to uh, go after this Annihilation Wave and go after go after Ravenous. Then we see uh, Thanos, and he is standing over the destruction that was happening uh, in the Skrull Empire. There's the Andromeda Galaxy, and we see that... Thanos is there with this little pixie, and I, I mentioned her last time. Uh, her name's Screech. She kind of talks to her uh, of in third person, so she talks of herself. Uh, Screech does this. Screech does that. Uh, imagine Gollum from Lord of the Rings, maybe with a little bit of Jar Jar Binks, which is kind of scary to think of. Um, she's just kind of annoying. She just kind of points out the mistakes that someone makes, and she kind of points out that you know. Uh, what a character is thinking, or she presumes she knows what the character is thinking. Galact or Thanos actually also is there with a character known as the Fallen. He was a previous herald of Galactus, and Thanos sends him out. Uh, he says, as Galactus's first herald, the Fallen One knows enough to speak only when spoken to. You should follow his example. He's talking to to Screet about it. And he asks the Fallen One to bring uh, the Seekers to him. So he wants to he wants to face uh, Ravenous or one of the Seekers to to really find out what they're all about. He feels like he he can be an ally to Annihilus, uh, but he needs to be able to communicate with them. 
Uh, we then go to Silver Surfer, who is in the Scroll Empire. He's in the uh, the ruins of Tala Prime, and he just sees all the destruction that Airwalker was telling him about. He can't believe, you know, all that was killed. But then he also thinks about how Galactus does something very similar, but he's trying to convince himself it's not the same. But then he has a flashback, and this is where it's really important to have read Silver Surfer's first appearance, because if you didn't, this panel would be very confusing. Um, and the reason I say that is because, well, I will say, number one, it was confusing for me without having read that. I was like, what is this panel? I don't understand this panel. But after I read Fantastic Four number 40, I think it was 49, I understood it a lot better because the panel is actually a, a reimagining of Alicia Masters. And Alicia Masters was the thing's girlfriend. She's blind. She, uh, the Silver Surfer, comes upon uh, her apartment and she, like, communicates with them and tells them about humanity and, and everything else. And that's what this panel kind of, it reimagines it, but it's not just a, a it's, you know, uh, browned out, so it looks like it's a, a page of history or something like that. I think it would have been more effective if they just t had taken the actual panels from the original story and put it in there, and then it would have been readily identifiable as this is this part of the story is something from the past. It's from a past story, a past interaction, because the character doesn't look like Alicia Masters did. The whole scene seems like it's supposed to be. It seems like it's supposed to be a flashback, but you don't know what of. He doesn't even say the Silver Surfer doesn't even say the name of Alicia Masters or Alicia or anything like that to give any clue. Like I said. The only reason I knew that that's what it was was because I read those early stories and the wording is exactly the same, or at least very close to it. So um, she says, our entire planet is in great in the gravest danger, but I have the strangest feeling that somehow you possess the power to save us. And Silver Surfer says, I defy Galactus. It is unthinkable. And Alicia Master says, then you could stand by and see the world destroyed. How? How could I have been so wrong about you when I sensed nobility? So he's thinking back, Silver Surfer's thinking back on those words, and they continue into the next panels of, When I thought you possessed compassion, you could stand by and see a world destroyed. He then, again, convinces himself that this is not the same, that there's no meaning in the destruction, there's absolutely no meaning in the destruction that Annihilus has for what he's doing. It's simply destruction for destruction's sake and he on the very last panel page it's a big splash uh where he just says annihilus must be stopped and it says to be continued and that's the end of the issue um the cool thing that they do in the issues i don't know if they did it in the trades or the hardcover collections i assume they did was they also had the xandar world mine Novacore database and here uh there's a page on Silver Surfer, there's a page on Ravenous, and there's a page on Gabriel the Airwalker. It's really cool because, again, if you don't know the history of these characters, other than, like, it doesn't say exactly when their first appearance is, but it gives you everything you need to know about the character, like what their powers are, uh, where they're located at, what their threat level is, uh, you know, what their natural abilities are, all that type of stuff. It gives you a background of the characters, it's really cool because it gives you everything you need to understand the issue. Now, 
I realize why they put it in the back at where you typically put an index. I almost feel like because this was the first issue, these pages could have been, maybe been better served at the beginning or something like that. Something at the beginning that's on that front, uh, the first few pages when they had the summary saying something like, if you're not familiar with Silver Surfer, Ravenous, or Airwalker, flip to the back and, and uh, learn about these characters. Something like that. But still really cool because you can read the whole story, then you can read about the characters, and if you want to, like I did, you go back and reread the story because it gives you a clearer picture of who these characters are and the battle that they're facing. So that's the first issue of Annihilation Silver Surfer. Trying to remember what the next one is. Uh, I know that we have uh, Super Scroll. There is uh, Ronin the Accuser. Um, and then there's uh, there's one other one that's escaping my mind right now. Um, but they were all really cool miniseries. The next one, next one I do, which will be part three, um, will cover one of the first issues of those other miniseries. And then uh, they'll probably be each one of those first issues will probably cover just one issue. So, it, you know, there's a lot of material to cover in those. Talking about the first appearances of the characters, uh, some backgrounds of the characters and everything else. But then once we get into the meat of the story, I might be able to do a whole episode on just uh, parts two, three, and four of Silver Surfer and two, three, and four of Super Scroll and stuff like that. We'll see. It depends on how many characters show up in there and, and how in-depth the story really gets. So... Obviously, there was a lot to talk about in this one. It took up a whole half hour. I hope you like this. Uh, there will be another episode coming out right after this. And with something different, though, not the Marvel Cosmic, but I promise it won't be two years or almost two years again before we have another episode like this. I am eager to, to go through this title, and uh, I want to hear from you guys. So let me know what you think of these episodes. Do you want to learn more about Marvel Cosmic? If not, totally get it. I can stop at any time, uh, but I really do in, enjoy covering these issues because, like I said, I got pumped about Marvel Cosmic stuff. I've gone back since reading these issues, and I have been collecting Marvel Cosmic all the way from the start of this up until now. I'm still reading the main Marvel Cosmic stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot and Nova and things like that. I don't read this current Silver Surfer. I hate to say it, but I'm not a Mike Allred fan. I know, I'm not saying he's a bad artist, it's just not my taste. I know there's some huge fans of his work. It, and it doesn't seem like it's something that I need to read uh, in order to stay in touch with what's going on in the Marvel Cosmic Universe. So, um, But I have, like I said, I have gone back and I've read, like, I've obtained the omnibus editions of Fantastic Four. Uh, I think there's omnibus one, two, and three at this point, I, I believe, and I've, and I've got all three of them. So I've gone back and read some of those. I've gotten, I've collected a lot of the trades of characters and have read a lot of those. I know there's some trades coming up uh, for Gamora and Drax, which are trades that when you look at the cover, it looks like it's about recent issues starring them, but it's actually their his, historical issues. So it's showing the character throughout the ages, and uh, you can read about Drax in his purple cloak and when basically a green purple cloaked version of the Hulk in some respects. He's not really that anymore. They've really fleshed him out a lot more. So look, look for those trades in the, in the current, uh, in this month's previews. Uh, it was in June's previews for books coming out in September. If you like the Marvel cosmic stuff, let me know and I'll keep doing it. 
the I might keep doing it even if you don't let me know or even if you don't like it. So I'm enjoying it. Uh, but with that said, let me go ahead and give our information out. Uh, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have a fan page and a group page. You can like the fan page and get updated uh, news items on things that are going on in Starjoes related things, as well as when new episodes are coming out. Uh, on the group page, just request to uh, become a member, and I will prove it the second I see it. And there's, it's a growing community, and everyone's participating, and it's been awesome. Uh, I usually do comic reviews on there of just stuff I'm reading. And uh, lately, we've had other people post some comic reviews, and I absolutely love that. I think that's fantastic. So if you're reading something and you're excited about it or you want to warn people about it, uh, post a review about it. You know, Post a picture of the issue. I literally take a picture of the comic that I have on my kitchen table and uh, post that picture, and I give a review. So you can do the same thing if you want. You can also follow us on Twitter. It's at Star Joe's Podcast. You can leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-J-O-E-S. You can also send us an email at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I will read those on the air and we'll respond to them. I do promise that we will be seeing Robert and Shannon and John in the near future. I'm also looking forward to episode 175 will be coming up. And typically on those 25th-like episodes, so like 125, 75, stuff like that, we've been having uh, listeners on. So if that's something of interest to you, uh, send me an email and uh, at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. And I'll try to keep you in the loop of when we're looking to do that episode uh, where we'll have listeners on and what the you know we'll figure out what the topic will be. You guys usually are the ones bringing up the topics. Maybe we'll do that again, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. It's usually a bigger episode with a lot of listeners coming on talking with us. And if you've never communicated with us and you'd like to be on that episode, like I said, shoot me an email. Uh, we love hearing from new people. We love interacting with new people. So. Uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, we also have merchandise for sale. We mentioned that in the last episode. Uh, John, the brilliant strategist, reminded me that <laughs> we should probably mention that every once in a while. If you go to starjoes.com, you can find on the right-hand column, there's links there. It gives our phone number. It gives our email address. But it also gives a link to Star Joe's merchandise. You can get t-shirts, uh, hoodies, and coffee mugs uh, with the Star Joe's logo on it. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, kept the prices very reasonable, so uh, I, I pretty much uh, can say that they are right in line with what you'd find for any other type of t-shirt, hoodie, or coffee mug out there. So, And it's Star Joe's, so come on. With that being said, we'll go ahead and close this episode by saying the Force will be with you, because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, guys. I used to love to lecture at colleges. I've probably done more of that than any man alive. I've been to every school in America, probably twice at least. Anyhow, I would talk to the guys and I would speak for a few minutes, then I'd open it up to questions and answers. That's what I love, because then you're really talking to people. I would get more questions about the Silver Surfer, especially from the brightest people in the audience. Somehow they'd be interested in the philosophy and the message and why he spoke that way and how I felt about him and blah, blah, blah. Wherever I went, and man, I got a kick out of that.
the surface popularity really came from the fact that he was just the outsider, trapped on Earth, uh, and he allowed us to hold up a mirror to a lot of what was going on at the time, to take a look at the things that were, that were wrong with society, that were wrong in the world. And I think that's, like a, that's a classic science fiction trope. You can always address what's going on outside your window a lot more easily with you know, a guy who rides a silver surfboard than you can with flesh and blood people. The surfer has never been shoesy, he's been more of a cult character. You know, within that universe, certain people respond. And so he was a fascinating character to begin with because it, in the beginning he was sort of, the, was completely cold and learning about humanity and then he makes this phenomenal sacrifice. He sacrifices everything, all this power, the entire universe to help these people. You know, so he becomes a fallen angel, he becomes Jesus. Any metaphor you want to throw toward it, it'll work, you know? It's the great thing that Marvel did was find a way to talk to people who were older about comics, to give them more uh, adult relationships and so on and so forth. They really caught the college audience. That was their first thing. They were able to do stuff that, that the Superman and Batman and, and the more traditional heroes had not done. They had really never grown out of this ghetto of childhood that they were stuck in. And Marvel opened up a whole new universe. The Surfer was an interesting character in the fact that he had to have almost limited potential. But the character is only as good as what is being done with it by the writer and the artist team that has it. I was a kid when uh, the Silver Surfer first appeared. He was an incredible character, uh, a noble creature himself. He uh, was working uh, for you know, a very hungry giant who uh, was going to do in Earth. It was an incredible story. We were doing a Fantastic Four story, and I wanted Galactus to be the villain. I was very proud of the Galactus that I had dreamed up, you know. I said to Jack, make him the biggest guy you can draw. He's a demigod. Make him look like a demigod. He's a guy who destroys planets. And he doesn't do it because he's cruel. It's because he's hungry. He eats their energy. So he goes through the galaxy, or maybe through the universe, finding planets that have enough energy to sustain him. I thought I was a genius with this idea. So I got the artwork, and there was some nut on a flying surfboard running around. I hadn't told Jack anything about that. I said, who's that? He said, well, I figure anybody who's as big and powerful as you say Galactus should be, he shouldn't have to go and search for planets to eat by himself. He would have somebody, a herald, who goes ahead and does it. And that was all. I mean, to Jack, he was a herald. He was going to find planets, and he only had them in a few panels. The first time I can remember seeing the, the original surfer material, the, the stuff that that Jack and Stan did in uh, FF 48 through 50. And they were all my brother's comics. And, uh, you know, I was four or five maybe, and we sort of would paw through that box every once in a while when my brother wasn't looking. And uh, I can remember those issues in particular always kind of weirded me out because the Kirby artwork was always 
you know, kind of grotesque to my five-year-old eyes. But it was a grotesque that you couldn't look away from. So I kept going back to those issues, even though, you know, they probably gave me nightmares the night, the, the night thereafter. I always found uh, Galactus's and the Silver Surfer's relationship really kind of strange. Here was this uh, rather honorable and downright noble creature floating around in space on this surfboard and looking terrific, but uh, what he was basically doing was uh, bringing the devil and destruction to wherever he went. He was an immediate hit. Everybody just loved his character. I said, this is so unique and so original, and... I liked the way Jack drew him because he looked so heroic and so noble, more than heroic, there was a nobility to him. And then I decided, I want to use him in a lot of stories. And what I want to do is have him really be my voice. I want him to say all the things that maybe I've been thinking of for years, like, we live in the greatest planet in the world. There's enough food for everybody. We have sunshine. We have enough water, beautiful fields. Everybody should be happy living on Earth. It's paradise. And yet, are we crazy? We fight each other. We hate each other. We, we tear the place up. But what's, what is the matter with us? Are we an insane race? Or so I wanted the silver surfer to mouth all those kind of thoughts as if somebody coming from a rational world were to see all the nutty, irrational things that human beings do. Well, at the time that the surfer was created, Things like Gilgamesh were very popular, uh, the epic poem. Uh, people were setting off into countercultural tracks. The surfer fit right into that. The surfer was a saint who could come in and uh, do commentary on the insanity of our own society. And uh, Stan was pretty good at doing some, you know, very uh, basic level uh, philosophical storylines along those way. I think the, the 60s was obviously a time of, of great upheaval culturally and in the society. And because the surfer was an outsider, because he hadn't you know, bought into the system to some extent, uh, he could see the, the, the inequities of, of racism, of, of you know, class wars. Uh, and I think Stan really held him up as, a, as an example of what we could be uh, without all of the baggage that we had at the time. Uh, I think he was embraced by the, by the counterculture to a certain extent because he, you know, he didn't have any of the, the baggage. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a tool of the man. nineteen sixty five when he first appeared and so we were just going into the whole uh, Beatles Vietnam thing and a, and a, a sort of alien being who didn't belong on this planet uh, was a popular concept uh, 
caught a lot of people's attention. There were a number of blacklight posters that were produced at that time featuring the Marvel characters, but the surfer is probably the most iconic. And again, because he was a silver guy in the blackness of space, he looked great under blacklight, you know? Um, and uh, I would venture to say there wasn't a college dorm in the country that didn't have a silver surfer poster in there somewhere. He was an icon. As I say, he never, the comic itself never really kind of sustained that at the time. But, but, um, he was there, Joe Satriani, who was a Bay Area uh, guitar rock and roll guy. One of the covers of his albums had a Silver Surfer piece of art on it. I mean, it was a, it was a pop culture phenomenon. You know, this is a guy who had Stan Soapbox on the bullpen page. So here it was, and the first issues were at double size, 44-page stories. So it was a 44-page Stan Soapbox, essentially. You know, he got to, like, talk about whatever was on his mind. And, and, and do it in this wonderfully melodramatic but truly heartfelt stand at his best was always so from the heart you know uh, and, and, and that's why I love that character and why I love those books so much